We are in Philippians 3 today. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians 3. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Verse 1, Philippians 3. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Let's pray. Jesus, this is your word. It's it's the truth for all generations that you have preserved for us. Speak to us today. Give us ears that would hear, minds that can comprehend your goodness. Teach us like Paul to consider all other things as loss compared to knowing you. And help us to be willing to to even lose things in this world that might keep us from running the race that you have set before us. In Jesus' name we ask for this grace. Amen. All right, I got four things that I want to talk about from this passage. If you have the handout, uh, please go ahead and get that out. We're going to fill in some blanks together. Paul is, uh, in this letter that he's written to the Philippian church, He's instructing them on, uh, we saw in the early chapters, he's instructing them on unity, how to, ha- how to preserve unity when there's attacks from outside of the church, how to preserve unity from the things that attack unity with, from within the church. And he gives the example of Christ, and then he gives the example of some brothers who are laying down their life, lives for the gospel, and now he gives the example of his own life. The first thing he, he, he says in this passage is he commands them to watch out for false teachers. The first point on your handout there, watch out for false teachers. Interesting that this early stage in the church, I mean, we're still just a couple of, a couple of decades from, from Jesus being on the earth. And, and it took time for the gospel to go through, throughout the Roman Empire. And, and yet here so early in the church, we're literally just a few years into the Philippian church, there's already the danger of false teachers 
There's those who are taking the gospel and twisting it and saying things other than what the message that Jesus had given to the apostles to take throughout the world. And so he, he tells them to watch out for these false teachers. Listen to how he describes them. Verse 2, he says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. He seems to be referring to the Judaizers. The Judaizers, for whatever reason, seem to plague Paul all throughout his ministry. Everywhere he goes and ministers for the gospel, he has to contend with this group known as the Judaizers. The Judaizers are the ones that they are Jewish Christians. And so in the first century, you understand, right, that Jesus comes first to the Jewish people and he presents himself as their Messiah. Many of them believe, and so they become Jewish Christians, we would call them. That's not how they identified themselves, but that's how we would think of them. They were born Jews. They were part of the Jewish tradition and faith and family, and they, but they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and so we think of them as Christians. But in reality, they were just Jews who believed in the Messiah. But the Judaizers are Jewish Christians who were insisting that Gentile believers, that means non-Jewish believers, submit to the Old Testament law and specifically that they be circumcised. God sets his people apart in the Old Testament through the process of circumcision. And that was one of the signs that you were a part of the Jewish people, that you had descended from Abraham. So when the Jews start believing in Jesus, and then the message goes out to non-Jews, the question that inevitably, inevitably comes up is, which parts of our faith do we expect these non-Jews to adopt and to practice? It was a big issue in the early church. It was an issue that, that the apostles got involved in and made specific decisions about this. And one of the things that they decided, by the Holy Spirit, mind you, was that the Gentile believers, the non-Jewish believers, did not need to be circumcised. And they did not need to hold to everything in Old Testament law. Well, the Judaizers disagreed. And so they go around. They, 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 it seems like they're almost following Paul and going everywhere. He plants a church and says, and after Paul leaves town, says, hey, n- now that you've believed in Jesus and you've heard the gospel, let us teach you how to live out the gospel, become circumcised, and begin following Old Testament law. The problem with this, and, and as Paul outlines very well in the book of Galatians, where he addresses this issue specifically, the problem with this is that when you do that, you're taking the work of Jesus, which he accomplished, which he, he did in his earthly life and ministry, whereby he, he lived a righteous life, perfectly fulfilling all the commands of God, and then whereby he goes to the cross and pays the price for for our sin and pays our debt before God, and then he gifts those two things to us by faith and by grace. He gives us his righteousness. He gives us the, the, the payment of our debt before God. He gifts those things to us by grace through faith, And what you're doing now is the Judaizers are taking the work of Jesus and they're adding to it. They've created a gospel that is Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus the Old Testament law. 
And Paul loses his mind over this idea because Jesus has done it all. Jesus has already perfectly fulfilled God's commands on our lives. Jesus has already perfectly paid for the debt that we owed because of our sin. The work of our salvation is complete at Jesus' ascension into heaven. And so these Judaizers who are saying, who are downplaying the work of Jesus by saying it's Jesus plus circumcision and it's Jesus plus Old Testament law. This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus plus anything is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus has done it. That's the gospel. Believe and receive. So he calls them, <clears throat> he calls them three things. One's not enough. He calls them dogs. Now, dogs... I think immediately when we think of dogs, he's, he's referring to them as filthy or, or, or something like that. In a sense, yes, but dogs has, has sort of a history among the Jewish people. Those who are outside of the faith are often referred to as dogs. I don't know why or, or how that began, but, but what Paul's saying here is that they are as Gentiles. They are outside of the faith. They are ceremonially unclean. They don't belong in the family of faith. They're dogs. He calls them evil workers. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. These are, are, are people who are depending on works of the flesh. And works of the flesh, works that, that, that we can accomplish in our own might and in our own power, are antithetical to the works of Christ. Christ has completed and, 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 and secured our salvation through his righteousness, adding your righteousness to Christ's righteousness actually taints it. Your, you took what is pure and you have added something impure. Paul says, that's what it means to be an evil worker. And then he says, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Clearly referring to circumcision Moises Silva said, Paul takes the Judaizers' greatest source of pride and interprets it as the surest sign that they have no share among God's people. These false teachers are not just, there's, there's always a challenge in the church to decide who's a false teacher in the sense that they are out, apart from, outside of the family of God and teaching a message that, that actually leads people away from salvation instead of into salvation, and who is just somebody who maybe doesn't have it all, all together yet, who's just erred in certain ways. They're one of us, but they just got some things wrong, and they're teaching that. Paul makes it clear that these people that he's referring to, they're not, one, they're not among us and just have some things wrong. They're evil workers. They're dogs. They're outside of the community of faith. They're mutilators of the flesh. They have no share among God's people. That's because they're teaching Jesus plus something equals salvation. And Paul says, no, it's Jesus plus nothing. He did it all. You see how dangerous that is? The idea of, of people teaching, teaching the gospel wrongly or teaching a different gospel 
is a very serious business. American Christians don't, don't like for their preference in teachers and preachers to be challenged, but, and I want to say this humbly because you should, you should even hold my teaching up. You absolutely, first of all, if this is your church, if this is your main source of being fed the word of God on the weekend, on Sundays, then you need to take what I'm saying and say, is this what the Bible teaches? And if it's not, then get the heck out of here and don't come back. Find somewhere that's preaching the word of God accurately. But in this sort of weird culture of Christianity that exists in America today, it's so common to see false teachers, people who are teaching teaching a different gospel, a gospel that doesn't line up with the gospel that we see presented in the New Testament. And so that means you've got to know your Bible. You need to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the word and how to handle the word and how to interpret it and how to understand it and, and, and not just be content to say, well, he's on TV or he's on the radio or somebody published his book. He, he or, or, or she must know what they're talking about. It's not always the case. In fact, in, in some places, it's perhaps the exception depending on, on, on where you're, you're turning to. So be very careful. Be very careful of that. Be mindful of the fact that there's opportunity in this culture for false teachers to become very popular and to be very well known and be very well liked and to present themselves in an attractive way. The Judaizers gained an audience if everybody was ignoring them, if everybody recognized them as false teachers, if everybody was like, oh, there's the Judaizers, these guys, I wish they would leave us alone, Paul wouldn't even be bringing it up. They, they're gaining popularity. There's people that are being led astray. There's people that are falling for their false teaching. And so Paul brings it up in many of his letters that, that he writes to the, the first century church. Paul has to deal with this issue Deal with these false teachers who are adding something to Jesus and saying this equals salvation. So watch out for them. Watch out for false teachers. Second thing from this passage I want us to look at and on your handout is this. Being religious can't save you, but Jesus can. Being religious can't save you, but Jesus can. So following the Judaizers, this is going to tie back into what we were just talking about, okay? If following the Judaizers can't save you, then what can? If, 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 if Jesus plus circumcision, if Jesus plus Old Testament law keeping isn't what saves you, then what can? Jesus plus nothing. That's what saves that's what leads to salvation. It's, it's receiving by grace the gift of Jesus' perfect righteousness and his atonement for our sins. It's receiving by faith the message of the gospel and believing that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did what God sent him to do. He says in verse 3, Paul says, for we are the circumcision 
We over the circumcision, he says. Notice how he picks on the, the message of the Judaizers. They're teaching you to be circumcised in the flesh, but we are the circumcision. Those of us who have believed. Remember, at the church of Philippi, these were largely Gentile believers. These were not people who, who grew up in the Jewish tradition. So they, when Paul came to them, they weren't circumcised. And so if somebody comes in and, and says, you need to be circumcised, no, no, no. Paul says, we are the circumcision. Remember, circumcision is a sign that you belong to God's people. We are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Then he says these famous words from Paul, though I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. He's going to showboat a little bit here. If these guys are teaching, if you're impressed by them, if you're enamored by their teaching, because they seem, they seem to, to come with impressive works in the flesh. Let me tell you who I am, and let me tell you where that got me. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day. He's like, you guys just, he's talking to like, Midlifers and stuff, adults. Like, you guys are just thinking about getting. I've been circumcised this whole time. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. And he says, But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss. Because of Christ. So he says, you're, you're being led astray. You're, you're, you're falling under the spell of these, who, these teachers who are telling you to observe the law. Let me tell you something. I did it. I did it better than anybody else that you can compare me to. I was born of the right family. I, was, I, was born, I came from the, 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 the best pedigree. When it comes to keeping the law, I was a Pharisee. The Pharisees, they took the laws of God and then they created laws on top, they laid laws on top of those laws to make sure that they didn't even come close to breaking God's law. So if, if, if I you know, made up some goofy rule like, hey, don't go in my office, some of you, it's like the first thing you would go do, Right? Some of you would go up to my office and look in and you would like play with that line. Some of you would say, I'm not even going to go near it because I don't want Fred to think that I'm breaking his law that he made. I don't want him to even confuse me with some. Some of you are going to say, I'm going to stay way over here. That was the Pharisees. And they were adamant that that's the way everybody should behave. We're not just going to avoid breaking God's law. We're going to show everybody how impressive we are and how religious we are by creating laws upon laws upon laws that keep us from even getting close to breaking the law. So Paul says, regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, find somebody more zealous than Paul. Paul's zeal was renowned. He was known. He was so zealous as a Jewish leader. He was persecuting the church. 
He oversaw the the first martyrdom in Christianity. It was at his command that it was carried out. He was so well known for his zeal in persecuting the church that when he became a Christian, all of the Christians were hesitant to accept him. They're like, this is probably a trick. He's coming in like a Trojan horse. He's pretending to be one of us. He's, he's sneaking in so that he can persecute us, so he can find out who the Christians are and send us to jail or maybe even kill some of us. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. He did it all. You could not, you could not be more Jewish than Paul was. You could not be in terms of the law, more blameless than he was. So you're impressed by these Judaizers who come in and say, hey, you know, you should probably get circumcised. It's here, look, it's in the Bible. You should probably start keeping these laws. Those are in the Bible too. Paul says, hold on guys, I did all that. I did it. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Christ changed everything for Paul. It took this guy who, was, who took pride in who he was as a Pharisee and as a Jew, who, who, took, who took very seriously his zealousness for, the, for, for persecuting Christians and the righteousness that was in the law. He considered himself blameless. He had done everything that he could think to do to make himself <clears throat> excuse me, acceptable before God. Give me one second. caught a cold this week and I'm actually feeling a lot better than I thought I would feel today but every now and then might have to make some adjustments he did everything and he considers all of that to be a loss because of Christ Christ came and fulfilled the law on his behalf Christ came and offered to God the righteousness that Paul was striving after but could never quite grasp So he says to his fellow believers in Christ, many of them non-Jews, he says, we're the circumcision. It's us, guys. We're already there. Don't let them trick you into doing this because you already belong. We are the circumcision. He says three evidences of this. One, we worship by the Spirit of God. Paul is constantly putting in contrast the works of the flesh. That's the things that we can do in and of ourselves and the work of the Spirit, which is a gift given to us by grace that Jesus works in us. And so he's, when he says we worship by the Spirit, I think he's contrasting those who worship in the flesh, those who approach God in the flesh, and those who approach God by his Spirit. He says we, we are the circumcision, we worship by the Spirit of God, we boast in Jesus. Those who are, who are trying to come to God by the works of the flesh Boast in the works of those flesh. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And even more than that, I got circumcised and I keep Old Testament law. They boast in their own works and in their own flesh. Paul says, we just boast in Jesus. We just boast in the one who did it all. And then then as the third sign that, that we are the circumcision, he says, we don't put confidence in the flesh. Paul speaks in many other places about how 
not only can the flesh not bring us to Jesus, but the flesh is actually waging war against our coming to Jesus. And so we don't put any confidence in our flesh. Our, our, our flesh is at war with the work that the Spirit of God is doing within us. So we put to death the flesh. <laughs> Just keep taking off on me. We put to death the work, the, the flesh, in order that the spirit might be on display. All right, so being religious can't save you, but Jesus can. What does that look like? So for us, it's not, it's not Jesus plus circumcision. I don't hear anybody teaching that in our circles. It's not, it's not Jesus plus keeping Old Testament law. Sometimes it is. Um, sometimes we, we emphasize certain aspects of Old Testament law, things like Sabbath keeping and that's, I guess, kind of the main one that comes to mind. But for us, it's, it takes on a different form in our culture. It's Jesus plus, and, and hear me out, these things are, are an important part of the faith, but we are not relying solely on Jesus for our salvation. We're adding things to it. It's like Jesus plus my church attendance. Or it's Jesus plus my giving. Or Jesus plus my serving. Those are good things as long as they are flowing out of your salvation and not a means of you thinking you're earning your salvation or maintaining your salvation. They're a response to salvation. I have been saved by the grace of God, therefore I want to be among his people. And so I attend church faithfully. I have been saved by the grace of God, therefore I want to see the work of God advance, so I, I give of my time. I give of my talents and I give of my treasure. I give myself to serving the kingdom. They're a response to salvation, not an effort to gain or maintain salvation. Jesus plus anything is dangerous ground to be on. Being religious, or even worse yet, I think there's a lot of people in our culture and in our society who instead of depending on the gospel in any way, shape, or form, are just depending on their religious behaviors. There's people who don't trust in Jesus but think that they're going to heaven because they go to church or because they consider themselves a good person or because they did this or because they did that or because their grandparents did this or their, or their parents did that. And, and that is a horrible mistake to make. Being religious can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. All right, we got two more. Number three is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Paul goes from <clears throat> saying that everything that was a gain to me I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. And then he takes it a step further. He says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. He's, he's referring, I think, primarily back to the things that he listed. His status among the Jewish uh, community is gone. He forfeited, he forfeited his position of privilege, his, his, uh, his position of authority. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was respected among them. He was, he was on the track 
you know, of, of um, you know, kind of climbing the corporate ladder, if you will, amongst the Jewish community. And he was headed in the right direction, and he gave up all of that for Christ. I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. Not only has he lost them, he considers them as dung. That's actually a, you're like, what's the real word there? That's got to be a bad translation. No, that's a pretty good translation. It means what it says. Poo, caca, whatever. <laughs> that's pretty graphic. It's meant to be. Paul is, is, is not, he doesn't want us to make any mistakes about what he's saying. All of those things, all of those works of the flesh, everything that he did to be religiously impressive to other people and to present himself to God is look at everything I've done for you. I've kept the law. I've persecuted the church. I'm a Pharisee. I'm born of Israel. I've been circumcised this whole time. Those are dung now so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Paul says, so I, here, I was building my own righteousness. I was building my case before God. I was, I was building my resume so that before God I would be presentable to him. Look what I did. I did this, 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 and this. He says, I now consider that to be garbage, because the righteousness of Christ has now become mine. And now I stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. I stand before, I stand before God not in a righteousness of my own, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. The outcomes, the, the two possible outcomes between those two ways of presenting yourself to God. If you were going to stand before God and you're like, hey, here's my resume. Here's what I did for you. The response from God is going to be absolutely the same in every case, no matter who you are, and no matter what you have done, he's going to say, that's not good enough. That's not what I required of you. I required perfect obedience. And that is not perfect obedience. On the contrary, even those of us who have very poorly built our own resumes, who have received by faith the gift of grace that is the righteousness of Christ and stand before God and say, here's my resume. Don't mind that it says Jesus at the top. It's mine, trust me. He's gonna say, that's, that's what I required of you, that you believe in the Son whom I sent to live perfectly, and to die for your sins. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you have Jesus, you have everything that God requires of you. Whew, isn't that good to know? That if I have believed in Jesus and by faith trusted in him, that I stand in his righteousness not my own. 
I don't have to add to it. I don't, it's not like Jesus gets us started and he says, now you finish the work. It's that he did it all. He completed and, and, and he has already done everything that God requires of us and he gives it to us as a gift. Don't screw it up by trying to add something to it. Don't screw it up by, by, by trying to make it better. It's already perfect. That's what Paul's saying. I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what it means to be in Christ, to stand completely in his, his, his grace, to stand completely in his completed work of salvation. And now, now that that burden is off my shoulders, now that I don't have to make myself acceptable to God, I am free to live in his grace. I am free to, to, to now give myself wholly to living for him, knowing I can't screw it up. I can, just, I can do the best with, with the help of his spirit, do my best to live for him. And that I would consider everything else that I could add to this not, not only not worth considering, but it would actually taint it. It would actually make it filthy. But Paul says, I love, I, I, I love what Paul says when he says, because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may, may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith. He says, I put everything else aside that I was depending on to make me righteous before God because I have found this thing that, that because of Jesus, I stand before God in the righteousness that he gives, not a righteousness of my own, but one that is based on faith. And for that, I will give up everything. The gospel is so beautiful and so worthy of our lives that Paul says, I actually gave up everything that I had built prior to this so that I might gain him. This reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew 13. He tells a couple of quick parables in Matthew 13. In verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. So there's a guy, I don't know if he's working in the field or if he's just walking through the field or something, but he finds this treasure. And this treasure is so valuable. It's, it's, it's worth so much more than the field itself and it's worth so much more than anything else that he has that before anybody else finds out about this treasure, he actually buries it again and he goes and he sells everything that he has. He liquidates it all. He, he has a complete estate sale. Everything's up for sale. Make me an offer. And he takes that money and he buys the field. And now all he has, he doesn't even have a home. He just has a field. But in that field is a treasure so great that it was worth giving up everything that he had. The dude sold his wife. He sold his kids. I'm just kidding. I don't think that's in there. But maybe, maybe, maybe. And then Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. 
When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and he bought it. You see the pattern here? The kingdom of heaven, the gospel of Jesus is so great that it's worth giving up everything else in order that you might gain this treasure. So, last point I want to make today. Make it your goal to know him and live forever. Make it your goal to know him and live forever. In light of all of this, in light of this idea that being religious can't save you, but Jesus can, in light of the idea that, that there's nothing you need to add to your salvation, that Jesus has done it all. In fact, there, there's nothing that you should add to your salvation, which is different than responding to your salvation and, and working for Christ, right? We've got to keep in mind that distinction. This isn't, okay, Jesus saved you, now don't do anything, That's not biblical Christianity either. But it's so important that we understand the distinction between working in response to our salvation and working to add to or maintain or even to achieve our salvation, all right? So so having made that distinction, make it your goal to know him and live forever. Paul says, verse 10 and 11, my goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection. That sounds good. I want to know Jesus, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. Oh, and then Paul says, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. I want to know him. My goal, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, But not just the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. And I want to be conformed to his death. That's a guy that wants to know Jesus. Everybody wants to know Jesus as long as that means good things. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that doesn't want God to do something good for them. But you know that you really want Jesus When you're saying, even if it means I have to suffer for him, even if it means I have to suffer like he did, even if it means that I will die in my my journey to know him more. That seems less and less strange to me the longer I walk with Christ. What I mean is, you know, initially that's like, man, that's, Crazy talk, Paul. <laughs> I just want to know the good side of following Jesus. Like, Lord, if you just, from now until I die, just let it all be good stuff, that would be great. But then as you go through suffering and you walk with Jesus through suffering, you understand there's a fellowship. There's a closeness of relationship. There's something to be gained in those times that Paul had discovered. He's suffering for preaching the gospel. He's suffering for following Jesus. And his experience is not, oh man, this is to be avoided at all cost. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't put yourself in a position where you suffer for Jesus. That's not his response. His response and his experience is that, hey, there's, there's actually something good here. 
there's something worth losing everything else for. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. That covers the whole spectrum. I want to know what it's like to be in Jesus in the best of times, on a good day. I want to know what it's like to be in Jesus when there is nothing else good in life but him and everything in between. That's his goal. You know, we were, uh, it was, we were talking in Philippians 1, we were talking when Paul said that his imprisonment was encouraging most of the brothers, and I, I, and I made the comment something like, man, what was, what was it like to be one of those guys who wasn't included in most of the brothers who were encouraged, uh, but to be one of the guys who wasn't encouraged by Paul? That's a bad rap. That's not a reputation that, that I want to have. And, and the more I think about that concept, the, the more I realize that, you know, just being comfortable in life and, and having good things and everything going well, really, I, I, I don't know that I want to get to heaven and my testimony be, yeah, everything was real easy. And have to spend all of eternity around people who suffered and died for the gospel. Because I'm going to feel like less of a man. <laughs> you know, I don't know that I want to get there. And, and, and my testimony was, oh, man, following Jesus was just so easy for me. I lived in the most comfortable time, in the most comfortable place, and nobody ever made it hard. And then there's Paul. <laughs> And there's, there's Stephen who died for Jesus. And there's these men and women who throughout history who have been beheaded and who have, ha- have, have had their families taken from them, who have been imprisoned, who have gone through hell and back in following Jesus. I'm not saying I want to experience that, but I, I like, let me experience enough suffering so I don't feel like a wuss when we get there, right? But the reality is, is regardless of what God takes you through. And by the way, it's best that that's left up to his wisdom. He knows what will make us increase in our fellowship with him and what would drive us away. Um, but it, it, it's, it's good to know that even in being conformed to his death, as Paul says here, there's a fellowship with Jesus. There's a closeness with him. When I, this was about, probably about 2008, 2009, there was uh, a, a woman, there was a woman in our church, I'll try to make a long story short, her husband was dying of, I don't know if, I think it was lung cancer that had spread to his brain, but it was in his brain, and it was affecting a lot of things, and he was, he was dying. And I remember her telling me the story. She wasn't even sure where he stood with the Lord. Um, but I did get the chance to share the gospel with him. But even when I shared the gospel with him, he responded affirmatively. I mean, he was like, yes, but, you know, he's dying. So what are you going to say? No, I mean, I have seen, tragically, I have seen people on their deathbeds say, no, I don't want your Jesus. But for the most part, people in that situation are going are gonna to be pretty open to um, believing in Jesus, but you're still, you're like, okay, is that coming from a real place of faith? You don't know, right? And so after I had got to share the gospel with him and we were kind of just wondering where he was at and his response to that, 
she told me this story. She said that, that one day, not long after that, he was just in such physical pain. And she said to him, she said, I can't stand how much pain you're having to endure. And he said to her, speaking of Jesus, but he suffered so much more for me. And you're like, wow, in the midst of the worst pain this human being has ever been in, he's thinking about Jesus and what he went through for him. I think that's what Paul's referring to, the fellowship of his sufferings, that even our greatest pain can be used to move us closer to Jesus, to, under, to, to reflect on and to understand and to think about what, uh, catch a glimpse of what Jesus went through on our behalf. Make it your goal to know him like that. Make it your goal not only to know him in the power of his resurrection, but in the fellowship of his suffering. Make it your goal to know him in all things. And if you do that, you get the added benefit of living forever. Paul says, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. I don't think Paul is saying that I don't, I, 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 I'm not sure if I'll reach the resurrection of the dead or if I, I will reach, attain the resurrection from the dead um, by, by some luck or something. He's saying this is a mystery that I can't even understand. It's a mystery that through knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death, my confidence is that somehow God uses that to grant me the resurrection from among the dead, eternal life. Make that your goal. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this stark reminder that we cannot... We cannot be righteous enough to earn our own salvation. That it's only by the righteousness of Christ. It's only by that righteousness that is gifted to us. And so God, I pray if there's anybody here today who's been trying to do this on their own merit. In fact, they're here today because they're trying to build their resume. They're try- they want to be able to say when they stand before you on that day of judgment, I went to church I was there, I participated, thinking that somehow that's enough. God, I pray that today would be the day they see that they can't possibly earn their way into heaven. That only by what Jesus has done on their behalf can they be saved. And today they'd put their faith in you. And trust in what Jesus did on the cross to die for our sins. And God, for the rest of us, Help us to make it our goal to know you in this way. In good times and bad, we're experiencing that fellowship that Paul refers to. And that one day we'll attain the resurrection from the dead and have eternal life in you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.